We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. football podcast today is a very special fantasy football podcast uh, sponsored by playbalto.com home of the joe montana nfl pick'em contest today we're going to cover survivor against the spread and pick'em pools uh and thanks to our friends from balto for sponsoring us chris uh chris list is my co-host here i'm jeff erickson we're going to be covering all that how's it going how's uh getting ready for another uh, season of all sorts of pick'em type of contests huh yeah i i really like survivor is probably my I don't know what's my favorite game in football. Like obviously fantasy baseball, fantasy football, but then survivor and, and beating the spread are two of the things I look forward to the most. The thing about survivor that's better than fantasy football in some ways is that you can always get screwed by a coach who decides, well, Sean Payton's going to just put the fullback in from the one yard line and that costs you a win. Or, you know, a guy decides to punt rather than to go for it. Um, but with survivor, you're always aligned with what the team needs, which is to win. So you, ne- I mean, you can get screwed by a ref or, you know, obviously bad luck happens, but 
at least you and the team are on the exact same page, which doesn't happen when you're uh, picking games against the spread. And it definitely doesn't happen in fantasy football. That's right. Um, so I, I love, I love survivor, but it is agonizing. It's one of the worst feelings when you're out, just terrible feeling when that happens. So we're going to start with survivor. Uh, I've had some success. You've had some success. The funny thing is you and I are in one pool together where I've had no success. Uh, I partner with Tim Schuler, and we get knocked out early every time. Well, that explains it. You just explained it. Yeah, I know. Apparently a real man pays for his own entry fee. I guess the hundred dollars is too steep for you. I guess <laughs> that's the thing is it's not, it used to be back in the day, or at least maybe it wasn't, or it was to, I didn't have that budgeted, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. And there were some lean years when we started the company, uh, when we branched out on our own from after broadband sports went under. I think we started joining that pool back then, and that might have been why we started splitting. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll, you know, it's fun to have something with a friend of yours to you know root for together. But, uh, man, I've had some bad Survivor stuff. The one year I won Dalton Del Don's pool, uh, it was fifty buck, $50 entry. Every year besides that, for some reason, it's been 100 yeah. So think about that. Like the one year I won, I won half of what I should have won. I guess people complained that it was too much or something. And so I won like 1500 instead of 3000 or whatever I should have won. There was one year I was in a pool of 300 people, got down to the last three, didn't take the split, lost in week 17. I've done that before. Okay. It's a brutal game. It's a brutal, brutal game, but it's also in some ways the best game and the most exciting. Let's talk base principles here first uh, when we're doing Survivor. Uh, I think a lot of people mess up by losing the overall picture of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, there's basically three ways to play Survivor. The naive way is you just take the biggest favorite every week. You take the best team and you don't worry about next week. That is not a terrible way to play. It's not the optimal way to play, but it's okay. The second level is the dumbest way to play which is to say, okay, well, I could take this team this week, but who do they play next week and what's available next week? And essentially you go back from week 17 all the way back and you figure out sort of a strategy of what, what's the best team each week and what are the best matchups each week? And, oh, I better not use Seattle this week because they're the only one with a good matchup in week six. And I might be screwed in week six if I've used up the Seahawks. Now just to back up, I, maybe people don't know this, but Survivor, you just pick a winner every week, period. Right. So let's just let's tell the rules, right? So everybody, a hundred people in your pool. Let's say they each put in a hundred bucks. There's 10,000 in the pool. You got to pick a winner. You pick a winner. You move on at week two. You pick a loser. You're out. Your hundred dollars is gone. Okay. It's in the pool and you're out. But the catch is you can't pick the same team twice. Right. So people try to save teams for later and find, look through the schedule and find like what they can pick in advance. That is the worst way to play survivor is the absolute worst way for a number of reasons. But I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you two good reasons. One is that, um, things change, uh, so much in, in the NFL. So you think you're saving a team for week six. You think you're saving Seahawks. They have a, a game against a terrible team in week six, but that terrible team is actually really good in week six or Russell Wilson's injured and the Seahawks are a terrible team. So you're saving something that doesn't even pay off Two, uh, it might turn out that in week six, everybody's on Seattle and this is what we'll get to the, the third way, the real way to play the best way to play. Mm-hmm. And it's actually optimal to fade Seattle because if Seattle were to lose, 
then I don't know why I'm using Seattle. They're just like a team. They made the playoffs, but they're not like some great team. Why are you using Seattle? I think just I man, know. I don't know. It just popped in my head. Week 17, uh, isn't that, didn't it involve Seattle for you that one time? Well, they knocked me out. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they knocked me out. Uh, You've no, been buried that one in your subconscious, but I'm here to bring before, it back for that you. That was before the Russell Wilson. This is 2000. And okay. It was a Saturday night game on week 17. Because once college football ends, you know, there's those Saturday games. Yes. And, and basically the bills had to, the bills sucked. They were like five and 10 at the time. And they had to fly from Buffalo to Seattle on a short week. And you know, they're, what do they care? And I was like, Seattle wasn't great either, but it was sort of like they were home. I think they were a little healthier and Buffalo came in. It was Saturday before the, the slate had even started and Seattle got destroyed. Buffalo came in and destroyed them. I think it was Antoine Smith on the bills had like three touchdowns, just ran them over. And I was out before the Sunday even started. It was a horrible, horrible thing. But anyway, I'm using Seattle now just as a random team. It could be the Patriots or whatever, but you save that team and that team's not what you thought they were or the team they're playing is much better than you thought they were. So you can't, there's so much unpredictability, but the bigger one to me, why you don't save teams is even if you are correct and that team is good and the team they're playing is bad and it's the obvious choice that week, if everybody else is on them, it becomes a bad pick and we can get into why that is. Right. Uh, we can. So, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about that concept is called pot odds. It's very important in survivor, very important. And I think underrated. Yeah. I mean, pot odds is a poker term. As you know, you play more poker than I do. And basically it's not just, you know, it's sort of like, okay, well I've got, you know, a chance to make a straight if I get one of two cards and, you know, let's say it's a 20% chance on the last, on the river that I make a straight. Um, and do I, you know, and somebody bets 50 bucks. And the question is, do I call or, I mean, you could raise even, but do I call or do I fold? And you're like, well, I mean, it's a big bet, 50 bucks. I don't know if I want to call with only a 20% chance. Well, you have to find out the other information, which is how much will I win if I get the card I need? If you're going to win 500 and you only have to put in 50, well, then you call because it's only 20%. It's one in five that you get it, but you're getting paid 10 to one if you get there. Right. So the hot odds justify the risk that you're taking. That's the principle in poker, right? If, if you're only going to win 80 bucks, if you win the whole pot, then you are, then you fold because you're not getting that 50 bucks. It's too risky to, to lose the 50, just to win 80, 80 more or whatever. It's the same thing in survivor. Basically, if everybody is on the Seahawks, not, it's never going to be everybody, but if 50 or 60 or 65% of your pool is on the Seahawks, then it's going to maybe make a lot more sense to take the next best team, the team with the next biggest, best odds to win. Because if the Seahawks lose 65% of your pool is dead. You have suddenly your equity in the overall, you know, if you figure like, okay, it's a hundred bucks each hundred people, 10,000, you've got 1% of 10,000. You've got a hundred dollars worth of equity. The day you start the pool, it's what you put in. But every time people die and you survive your equity for the 10,000 grows. So if half the pool is dead, now you've got $200 worth of equity, right? If right. 90% of the pool is dead, now you've got $1,000 worth of equity. You've got one-tenth of the pool at this point. So the question is, if 65% of people go down with the Seahawks, if whoever's left in week six, that's going to increase your equity significantly. So you have to calculate not only what are the chances that the Seahawks win versus what are the chances that the team that you, know, you would pick instead of them wins, say it's the Rams, uh, but then two, 
how much equity would you have in either case? Right. So you have to crunch all those numbers. So we do it on the site. We obviously at RotoWire, we, we will crunch the numbers for you and tell you, here's the better pick. And after a while, you get a feel for it, right? You, you look at the difference in, in the money lines and you figure out, we, we kind of create an implied percentage to win based on the betting lines. So it'd be like, this team's 80% to win, this team's 76% to win. But if there's many more people on the 80% team, and how do you know that? Most of the sites show you how many people overall, right. tens of thousands of people that use the site, you know, what, what the percentages are. If you see that many, many more people are on the Seahawks than the Rams, but the Rams are only 4% less likely to win overall, you're, the risk that the slightly increased risk is worth it. Cause your reward is bigger. Think of people being knocked out and you having greater equity in the survivor pool as your reward, your payoff. Right. And so it behooves you to wait till Thursday, for instance, to make your pick instead of Tuesday. You know, there'll be more data available on the league site. Uh, if, if you're using a league site to host now, a lot of times these pools are hand, I mean, it's not that hard to score. You put it in a spreadsheet, you cross them off or they get it wrong. I mean, it's not that hard, but, uh, a lot of, a lot of site, a lot of leagues still have these survivor pools will use, officepools.com, officefootballpools.com, or Yahoo even, or whatever, and there'll be those tools to help you. Uh, plus, you have more injury information, too, which obviously can help in many cases. Might actually cloud your picture, though, too. Uh, it's funny how we may sometimes more inputs skew your line of thinking. It can. I mean, you don't want to micromanage it too much. I mean, besides QBs, star players usually move the point spread only a point or so, which means moves the odds about 5%. Right. It's not going to move the odds 20% that the star receiver is out or something. Yeah. Occasionally you'll see like a center out and you'll see the line move that because of that, because it's funny how that makes, he makes all the line calls. That's actually a big deal. Yeah. Sometimes the old school gamblers always said, be careful if the, if the starting center is out, it can screw things up. I don't know if the sharps feel the same way, but I used to, I used to hear that and it often seemed to be true. Um, but the, yeah, I mean the, the thing is you, you, yeah, you want to wait till as late as you can before making your pick. But in the end, um, those sites that are like polling data, you know, the polling data doesn't mean the election is going to go a certain way, but it, there's a certain high probability when 50,000 people, you know, 50,000 people are on the site or probably more than that, hundreds of thousands on all of these sites, maybe a million and 37% are on team X. It may move to 36 or 35, but it's it's pretty stable once you get to Tuesday or Wednesday. That's right. That's right. So uh, just a little handy tips, tips here. If you're in a double elimination pool, does your strategy change at all? I don't think so. I mean, I think you just want to, you know, look, you're probably not going to win your survivor pool. This is the base that you, you have to realize there's 100 people in. You've got a 1% chance. So don't worry about losing. Losing is what's probably going to happen, almost certainly going to happen. What you want to do is be aggressive and take the edge where you can find it, get a better, get your money in good. And so basically, you know, you don't really need to worry about, Oh, well I could lose in week two. If I take this 72% team to win instead of the 80% team that everybody's on, don't worry about that. You just have to do the math. You have to say, Oh, is that 8% of extra risk worth the projected payout? If you know, the team that everybody has loses, and you do that calculus. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you want to go with the chalk. It's boring. Only a few people lose because they took other teams. But the team that you took was so overwhelmingly likely to win. It's such a better choice than the second choice that you just say, okay, this isn't the week to make my move. This is the week to survive. And then other weeks you have to make your move. And it's you do the math. Now, the problem is that the math isn't perfect, right? Like I think that the 
the polling data for the sites is usually good. You get into some trouble when you're down at 15 or 20 people. It can definitely skew very differently in your pool than it does on the general polling data. The, the distribution of teams and who people are picking it could be 60% in general, but only 40% of your pool does it because it's, it's a small sample. Um, and then two, um, you know, the, the odds makers lines, the percent chance to win. Well, that's what the market thinks, but it's it may not be right. So, you know, it's sometimes you got to go with your hunches and, and play it, but be aware of what the market is saying. Um, the, the chances, you know, of each team it has to win. Have you done any looking, uh, at week one yet for this year? No. And I'm not going to yet because I had success against the spread making my own lines. And the only way I can make my own lines is to not know the spread. I have to just look at the schedule and then find the line where I just really don't know which team to pick. Okay. And then write those down and then compare them to the real lines and then see who I like. Once you see the actual lines, you can't unsee them. And that goes for the money lines and everything else. You don't want to, if you're like me and you want to make your own lines, you don't want to be like, Ooh, maybe the market knows something I don't, you know, you, you start to doubt yourself. You have to just not know, make your choices and then compare them to what, what the market thinks. Seems like a perfect transition to talk about against the spread picks, uh, against the spread pools, picking against the spread. You do beat the book every year. We do staff picks every year, and we t- discuss them frequently on uh, our Sirius and XM show, and increasingly so now that the environment for gaming has changed. It's a lot more open. It's People can talk about this freely, it seems like. So let's talk about some principles with talking about picking against the spread. Yeah, it's so funny. I was, uh, I was talking to Josh Ross. I just played paddle tennis with Josh Ross today. And I was talking to him about how like XM used to be like, we'd always talk about the spread and we get yelled at for it. And now it's like, no, talk more about the spread. Talk more about gambling. Not the law has been passed. And then I, I feel like some of the people who don't really like it or know about it or like shoehorned into it, but we're like, Oh, this is great for us. Right. We like talking about this. Yes. So, so you're a visionary. I was ahead of my time, Jeff. That's always what happens to me. Yes. Visionary um, style. You man, many great artists, Jeff, were not appreciated until after their deaths. Yeah. You didn't have to go cut your ear off like Van Gogh just to be an homage to him though. That was a little well, too much. You know, I drank too much absinthe just like Van Gogh. I started hallucinating. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah, a digression from this conversation. We, uh, so just, you know, just to be clear, if you're sort of a fantasy football guy who doesn't really do a lot of against the spread betting, which is not many people, but Basically, the way it works is that team A is playing team B. They're not equal strength, and so there's a spread to make it equal. So if you know the Raiders are at the Steelers and the Steelers are seven-point favorites, it's because you know the Steelers are four points better on a neutral field and then three more points because they're um, in Pittsburgh or whatever it is roughly. And so the line is seven. And so it's sort of a fair bet, right? The Raiders are worse, but you're getting plus seven. Steelers are better, but you're laying seven. You're giving seven points. If the Ra- if, if that's the case and the Steelers win by six and you bet the Raiders, you're going to win because you're getting seven. Steelers win by eight and, and you bet the Raiders, you're going to lose because you only got seven. Steelers won by eight. That's how it works. Usually the way the uh, sports books, casinos make money is that they uh, charge juice on the bet. So if you bet to win a hundred bucks, you got to risk 110 bucks. So the lines are pretty tight. The market makes these lines and you've got a choice of the team. You can choose either side you want, but it's your 110 against their hundred. And over time, because the lines are tight and they're pretty much 50, 50 with the, with the point adjustment, um, it's very hard to win risking, you know, 110 for every hundred, 11 for every 10. It's, it's hard to win that way. And so, uh, most of the sharps who make a living at it, uh, they just pick a few games a week. 
you know, most of the games are too tight, too accurate in their opinion to have an opinion on every single game. They just have three or four they think are off or five or one or zero in a given week. And the ones they think are off or that the market's wrong about, they will bet. And we bet you and I pick every game. We've picked every game. You and I, since you, since 2000, me since 1999 and we keep track and we, you know, have side bets with each other. And now I'm in the super contest, which you pick five, five games a week. And it's like the fourth year I've done that. So, um, yeah, man, I, to me, that's the, against the spread super contest. I, I just, I want to win the super contest. I want to win the NFPC main event. Those are my two big things. And handicapping against the spread is so cool because there's such a clear benchmark. You know, if you win four of your fantasy leagues and you don't do well in seven of them and you do okay in three of them, did you have a good year? Are you a good fantasy player? Who is in your league? What's the quality of competition? Who knows? No, it's impossible to evaluate how good someone is at fantasy. But if you, it's not impossible, but it's hard. No, I, and I always look at it. Okay, what was the buy-in? I mean, how much did you win? Uh, what, what's your total P and L? You know, your profit and loss here. I mean, all those things. Yeah, but you know, we get the free rolls in the NFBC. I mean, they're not free. We give them advertising, but right, of course. So I'm talking about just paid entries. You know, and like I'll actually buy into a few NFBC contests on my own sometimes. Sometimes some NFFC ones. Like I'll do like. I'll do like an extra online championship or I'll do an X or more likely I'll do like uh, the draft champions just to get ready for fancy, the fancy sports season, whatever it is. But yeah, the, your point is right. Um, that it, it does skew the totals a little bit there. I mean, if you win the NFBC main twice, which only one person's ever done Lindy. Right. Um, or if you, you know, are constantly in the top 25, like someone like Genstad is always, you know, you know, you're a good fantasy player. I mean, it, it's, in the major paid contest where there's a lot of money at stake, you're a good fantasy player, but you know, in our various expert leagues and stuff, I mean, I could say, you could say Larry Schechter who plays NFBC is a good, but in general, it is hard to prove. And a lot of people win leagues because they hustle the most or they're in leagues with a lot of bad players. You know I mean? You, it's just, it's kind of nebulous. Right. Oh, your advice was good this year. Oh, you had a good cheat sheet that people won. Their, it's just very nebulous, but against the spread, there is such a clear benchmark. 52.38% is break even against the spread. It's easy to prove that. You say, okay, well, say you made $101 bets. Say you won uh, 52 and you lost 48. Well, you'd win $52, you'd lose $48, so you'd be up $4. But the four, the 48, remember, you're, you're risking uh, 110 to win 100, so you lose another 10%, so you lose another 480. So if you go 52 and 48, you're minus 80 cents, Yeah. right? Make sense? Yes. If you go 53 and 47, well, you're up six bucks, but then you lose $4.70. So you're up $1.30. So it's between 52 and 53 to win. And then it comes out if you were to, you know, do all the math, 52.38 is break even with the, with the 110 in the minus 110, we call it the minus 110 rake. So that's the benchmark to break even. If you're 55% consistently, you're, profe- you're, you're, as good as a, you're as good as a professional better. 55 is pro, not one year, you know, in one pool, but right. you know, on average year after year, anything above 55 on a consistent basis. And you know, you should be doing for a living. So there's a benchmark, you know, how you're doing. We know if you're above or below 500, there's no, there's no adjustment for difficulty or anything else. It just, it's, that's what I love about it. It's just, you know, where you stand, you know, how you're doing. It's a perfect system to rate you. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I, I think that's it's a total meritocracy as far as it goes. Now, one of the things is sometimes you see a line 
that is bet so heavily on one side that it, you're not, it's not minus 110. It can be worse odds. You know, you have to beat an extra VIG, it seems like. And that's more often you get that with the totals than you get with the actual line itself. But sometimes it's on a magic number. Yeah, they could move the line. I read an interesting book, and I, I wish I remembered the authors, but they're just talking about how the lines get set. And basically, they're these sharp books that put out the lines, and the sharps jump in big right away because they have their own numbers, mm-hmm. and they bet it. And they sort of massage the line. So they might, you know, Steelers minus nine and everybody's on the Raiders and it gets quickly moved to seven and a half. And basically because once it's moved and stabilized at seven and a half and the money's coming in both sides or the sharps stop betting it, then the other retail books, the books that just copy the sharp books, put it out at seven and a half. And they're sort of coward, you know, they're just sort of like on the coattails of them. Uh, and, they probably won't move that line very much or change the rake that much. I, I could see how if like it, all the money was on one side, they might want to say enough is enough, but I think they sometimes lay off the action. Like they might bet, maybe they bet, you know, with another book, like they just sort of like hedge their risk a little bit. Interesting. But um, I think I'm not about, the, I don't know about the hedging thing. The other thing is true. That's how they set the lines. There's the sharp book that basically um, takes the sharp action and lets the lines get massaged out, but not for you know crazy limits. And so they'll lose some money just, putting it out there just to get the right line. And then the other books copy them. So, um, you know, by the time the line is set, I don't think they usually move the odds that much. Um, you might see minus 120 on prop bets and minus 130 on, you know, over-unders for the season with the team uh, because those are a little more volatile and not as, you know, ironed out by a large amount of, of people betting on them. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, Again, you like to set your own lines while making your picks. Uh, that it's, it, it seems like it could be a rigorous process. Do you like how long does it take you to go ahead and set a, 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 a pick set there, like a set of lines? It varies. It's certainly not rigorous. It's not like I have an algorithm or something like that, you know, based on turnovers and yards per play. And all. I mean, some people do, and that's how they set their lines and they compare it. I'm less interested in that. I, for me, Hey, I don't really have the chance. I mean, I could do something with a spreadsheet, but it would be very rudimentary compared to what the sharp guys or whizzes with that stuff do. I mean, I could put in a formula of some kind and see how it checks out and adjust it, but I'm not really interested in that. I think people are far better than that than I am. But what I've done is I've picked every game for 20 plus years. And I was betting quite a bit when I was a kid, when I was in college, when I was after college, I mean, I always bet football. Right. I, when I was six, I bet with my grandfather. You know, he would, he, he was a big better. He'd school you, huh? Um, yeah. Well, he, I, he let me pick whichever team without the spread at first. And so I was up and then I lost a lot of money One, you know, a lot of money, meaning like a lot of 10 cents and 25 cent bets. And right. I lost all my winnings and he said, this is a good lesson. And, you know, you try to, you know, pretend like he wasn't turning me into the degenerate that he did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was unfortunate. The last bet I made with him before he died was the Dallas Denver Super Bowl, And I wanted to bet Dallas but my dad told me, no, 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 bet Denver. And so I decided to bet Denver in the Super Bowl, and Dallas crushed them, and I was pissed. Right. Um, so my grandfather won, like, it was like 50 cents for the Super Bowl. Um, so he won the last bet that we had. But, uh, yeah, uh, I've bet for a long time, and I've watched football and fantasy and all this stuff for so long that I trust my instincts about it. I mean, a lot of people say that's ridiculous. You, you know, you're not smarter than the market and whatever. I don't want to get into that argument because I just think, argue it all you want. Like I, I feel like I can, I, if you're not smart in the market, why are you betting? 
period. Well, a lot of people don't, they, they won't, you know, right. I mean, or, or they'll say, well, my algorithm can beat the market, you know, like it's been back tested or, or something. The yeah, market's okay. Missing. Sure. The market is not pricing in the luck factor of turnovers or something. It's looking too much at wins and losses or point net points. And they don't realize that turnovers are random. And that's why this team has more net points. There's theories like that. But for me, it's just sort of like, all right, I watch this team. I think I see something that, you know, uh, you know, the skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. Like I see that this trajectory looks promising to me and I'm, I think it's underpriced. They're pricing in the past too much, or, you know, people are too hopeful about this team. This team is too trendy and they're not that good. They're already getting ahead of themselves and, and has, whatever. Or sometimes you just don't have a great feel. I mean, a lot of the games, you just don't really have a strong feel, but I just feel like I've had enough experience and I'll look at yards per play and, and some of the stats now and then just to, just to be aware of it. And I know a lot of it just from fantasy and stuff, just what the quarterback stats are. But I just want, I will just use my experience with how these organic complex systems evolve to maybe see something, a seed that may sprout into something that's different about this team or the seeds of collapse right. for another team. And, you know, it's, it's a complex system. Nobody can predict it perfectly, but sometimes people get insights into it. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I think I have a chance to beat the spread. Very good. Before we uh, talk a little bit more about the super contest and pick em pools, a quick note from our sponsor, Balto looking for another NFL pick em contest. Well, we have the one for you and you can compete against hall of fame quarterback, Joe Montana, who is hosting a free to play NFL pick em contest with our friends at PlayBalto.com. The winner takes home $1,000, and the GOAT himself already has an early entry into the contest. Aside from competing against Joe, you will also get to see his picks each week and find out if his football IQ translates off the field. What are you waiting for? Join today at PlayBalto.com. That's P-L-A-Y-B-A-L-T-O.com. PlayBalto.com. All right. Uh, in fact, they do have a pick and pull. I'm going to check it out. The Joe Montana contest. You pick up. You pick five games, uh, and you have to. You know, it's just a straight up pick and pull, as opposed to the super contest where you're picking five games against the spread. Let's talk super contest here first, Chris. Uh, I think kind of the art. Some of the art in the super contest is the, the game selection. You choosing which games. Yeah, so that that contest is five games a week times seventeen weeks, eighty-five games. There's thousands of people in it. It's fifteen hundred dollars to get in. First prize last year was like one and a half million. It's probably over two million now because it's going to be even bigger. And you just gotta you gotta go between four and one and three and two. Sixty percent won't win it for you. You need to get into the high sixties, low seventies, maybe. I don't know. It's hard. Eighty-five games, and uh, you pick against the spread. And the lines lock on like Wednesday or Thursday, whenever they come out and you know, things can change, right? I mean, right. quarterback can get hurt in practice. Something can change. And sometimes, you know, toward the end, there's a game theory thing where it's like, well, the line, you know, the super contest line is three, but because of a, an injury to a key player, it's now seven. Right. And everybody's going to take the, you know, the seven, the, the favorite, um, because they're only laying three when they should lay seven. But then you think, well, if everybody's taking that, I'm going to take the underdog and take a bad deal because, you know, it's still a 30 or 35% chance that they win, that they cover. And if they do, then that gives me a huge leg up on, on all the field. So sure. that happens toward the end when you, you know, you have to 
when you're chasing. Yeah. Yeah. When you're chasing, that's right. Right. But generally, yeah, you, you all pick different games. Um, I'm talking to our tech guys about mining the data. Uh, Jay Cornegay, the guy who runs it said, yeah, no problem. Use the data however you want. Um, and like, cause I had a guy that you would send me, um, these spreadsheets that he, he kind of just did it via spreadsheet with, uh, sort of mine the data, like what all the, the guys who did were in the top, you know, the top five guys were picking or the top 10 guys were picking and then all the guys who were terrible this, you know, that year who they were picking. And sometimes you see like everybody, all the top guys have Arizona plus seven and all the terrible guys are on the other side of that. Right. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but there's a little bit of that data that you can mine. Um, but it's a great contest. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's the Holy grail. You win that first of all, it's a ton of money, but it's also like you're going against like quants from you know wall street quants and rocket scientists and poker players. And it's, and you a, and me. Yeah. And me, that's the, that's the toughest yeah, final sure. boss, the Mike Tyson. Right. Or the glass Joe, depending on the year. <laughs> Most people would say the glass Joe, but we did all right last year. We were, we were something like, I don't know, a regular, like 49 and 36 or something, maybe a little better than that even, but we, we were short of cashing. Is it winner take all? No, there's, it pays like, I don't know how many spots, but there's thousands of people in it. It probably pays like 50 spots. I don't know. Okay. I have to look at the rules to see how many we were not, we're not close enough for me to know the answer to that question. Gotcha. Um, comparing that versus pick a straight up pick em contest where you're just playing, picking against picking winners. Uh, I, you know, and it's not a survivor, so you can take anybody you want. I'm assuming, uh, I'm looking at like, for instance, the, well, your, every league's rules are different. Uh, like the Joe Montana contest, you're just picking five games. Do you want to get a little game theory there and try to get lesser own games at some point? If you're trying to catch up, is that, is there, is it pot odds seem like they would apply there too? Wouldn't they? It would after a while. It's, it's a real, I find the pickums really hard because, here, here's the, here is, here's the game theory is that obviously if you just believe in the Vegas odds, which is as good of a benchmark for the likelihood that it seems going to win as any, then you just take the chalk, right? You just take the five biggest favorites every week, but that's just, you know, that's not, everybody's going to be doing a version of that. So it's hard to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Your expected return will be highest, but your chances of winning is probably not the highest because you're not differentiating yourself enough. It's just like DFS where you want to have, you can go chalk for a bit, but you want to have a couple of odd picks. So you got to pick your spots. So I, I think like, you know, if there's five, I think the time to pick your spots though, is you, you know, you have like the three massive double digit favorites and then there's an eight and a nine that, it, you know, that, that would be the chalk, but you take the six and a half and a seven instead of the eight and the nine point favorites as your straight up pick. And again, it doesn't matter what the spread is for their contest but it gives you information of how much the market thinks these, what the discrepancy is between these teams. And you go, you you give up a tiny bit of expected return for the benefit of differentiation. That's right. So I I know that you're not very dogmatic. You don't like these maxims, uh, like never pick a, uh, you know, a road team in a division game or always pick a team after the buy. But do you have any uh, cardinal rules when you're doing pick them contests or, or even against the spread? No, I used to have these rules. I used to have a lot of stupid rules. This is the sharp play. Like you take the home dog on a Monday night, uh-huh. you know, who's, who's going to bet on this scrubby team that this, this line's only three and a half and they're at home and everybody's going to bet on team X. That's the high flying offensive juggernaut and team Y is this ugly defensive team. that's six and six and seven right now. And mm-hmm. they're, 
you know, and the line's only three and a half and, and the average, you think, Oh, the average moron is just going to take the, the sexy team with the great quarterback and receiver and running back. But obviously Vegas knows that. So this is a good deal. I used to think like that. I was thinking about perception and right. trying to read the market and read between the lines. And the person who disabused me of that and actually accidentally was, was Rufus Peabody of Massey Peabody. He has a Massey Peabody does their own sort of projections and they have their own algorithm to do it. And I don't really care. I mean, they're really, they've had enough success, but what really there's a million people with a, with a spreadsheet and, and whatever the difference was I hung out with Rufus in Lisbon and he was betting like a lot of money per game, like a lot right. of money, like for some people, like a life changing amount of money on, you know, on every bet. And I realized, Oh, he's not just some guy trying to get publicity with his algorithm. He's actually risking his, uh, his own money on this big time. And I started to see what he would bet in, in his charts. And like, he would just take like the sucker play. He'd take the road favorite with the good offense you never take the road favorite on Monday night with the good offense. You take, you go ugly with the Monday night home dog. Doesn't, don't you know that? Right. Carrie's algorithm said the favorite was a better value because they should be eight point favorites. that are only six point, you know, four and a half point favorites. And he's going to lay the wood. He doesn't care. Uh, and it sort of was like, Oh, if he's risking that much money on it, uh, then it wasn't like I was going to just agree with him. But it, the principle, I started to be like, you know, if, if a real sharp doesn't care about all these adages, like, you know, oh, well, never do this or always do this. Why am I caring about it? Why yeah. am I like stuck into old school, you know, oh, this is the old school bookie wisdom and stuff like just throw that in the garbage. Yeah. I always like, I, I think I threw that out pretty quickly. I, you know, back when we had uh, Mike Romanowski and, and staff picks, he'd always throw out the, oh, they're seven and one against the spread on Monday night in, uh, in games where it's seven or more uh, or something like that. I'm just like, it's, that's a construct upon a construct. I, I reject that. Yeah, but the the trend stuff is transparently stupid. I mean, that's yeah. That doesn't mean anything. You're like, what? Who was the quarterback five games ago? Why does that mean anything? It doesn't mean anything. But that was easy to see through. But I think it's more complex to see through, sort of the greater patterns that people have picked up on, that are like, well, it's a national game, which means that you know people are going to be, well, not doesn't necessarily mean this, but you could see that it might mean that people are going to be sort of more amped and more sort of up for this. It's a, it's a showcase game and you're the, you know, they're basically saying the market, like you're the weaker team, even though you're at home and you got your fans there. And then the other team has to you know go to your, uh, you could see how that would be a thing that it doesn't get, but the counter argument to that is, well, if that is a thing, maybe it is a thing. Shouldn't that be, isn't that already priced in? It's not like all the people, you know, betting in Vegas aren't aware of historical data or they don't have access to it. Or if there was some crazy discrepancy where, you know, home dogs on Monday night covered 68% of the time over 20 years, they would just raise, you know, they would just give them fewer points until they stopped covering 60%. Now that doesn't mean you can never spot an anomaly. You might, right. It's not going to be something that obvious. I don't think. I agree. I agree. Uh, before we close here, uh, give one takeaway. What's the single biggest mistake people make? And survivor pools against the spread pools or pick and pools you choose survivor. The biggest mistake is looking ahead. Okay. Okay. Live for today, but don't just live for today. Taking the best team. It's not terrible to do that. Pot odds plus, you know, chances to win plus the payoff given the win. Those are the two variables optimize between the two and just look at this week based on that. So that's survivor. Okay. Against the spread. 
I don't know, Jeff, what do you think the biggest mistake is that people make against the spread? Biggest mistake is thinking that your picks are correlated. Like, oh, my God, I've got too many underdogs. Oh, my God, I've got too many favorites. You know, I picked underdogs all last week. I better pick favorites. You know, I better not pick them, you know, this week or something like that. Each game is an individual trial, completely unrelated to the other. You know, just, you know, yeah, the team, there's team factors, but, you know, your pick doesn't, you know, what you did one time doesn't have any impact on what you should do this time. If you think that's the case, it's just, you're just superstitious. I think it's a great one. It's so funny. Sometimes I'll have like 12 underdogs and three favorites on a 15 game slate. People be like, you got 12 underdogs, dude, what are you doing? Right. I'm like, Oh God, I better so change. What? Which one? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Which one? That's right. But secondly, Oh, you really think you're going to go 15 and zero this week? Well, here's the thing. It's just as likely that 15 underdogs win. Right. 15 underdogs cover as your 15 specific mix of favorite underdogs cover. Like, it's like, Oh, 15 underdogs are never going to cover. They never cover all 15 underdogs. Yeah. But the teams you pick each week, never all cover either. That's right. So why is it's like saying, no matter what you change them to, you're a huge long shot to go 15 and zero. So you might as well just pick your best picks, pick your best picks, whether they're favorites or underdogs, but you're a huge long shot, no matter what the configuration of favorites and underdogs are. So there's no, there's no harm. And if you really like individually each game, you're right. That's a good one. People, right. People think there needs to be some sort of normalized. Oh, well it usually has like, you know, six and nine or you know eight and seven or something. You know, so I've got to normalize my picks to, to match that. That's crazy. That's right. And then I think the other one is what you mentioned too, like the sharps, uh, you know, wanting to be a sharp and all that fancying yourself a sharp. What would a sharp do? And all that just, Pick the game. Yeah. Well, that's the second level of mistake. The first level of mistake is just picking teams you want to, you know, right. that you think are good. And that's, you know, the, oh, well, the Patriots are good. I want to bet the pay. I mean, that's like the novice mistake. But once right. you get to level two, you're like, ooh, I'm going to outthink it and pick the opposite of that. You know, I don't want to be, a, I'm not a square. No one wants to be a square. Can't yeah, have that. Some, I think a, summing it up, what you said and, and what I said, I think this, the, the mistake people make against the spread is too much meta analysis, not mm. enough. Just look at the game. Just look at the event right. itself. Don't look at who's doing it, who's smart for doing it, what the smart people think, what teams typically do in these, you know, don't get into all that. Just look at the teams. Yeah. Look at the spread. Get, you know, figure out which one you think is, you know, think if are you getting enough value on this team or that team? That's it. Don't get involved in in narratives basically. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right. That's going to conclude our Survivor Against the Spread and Pick'em podcast sponsored by our friends at Balto. Please make sure to go uh, check out playbalto.com, home of the Joe Montana NFL Pick'em Contest. I'm Jeff Erickson. He's Chris Liss. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.